Amen. Good morning. Welcome. You can be seated. So glad you're here. Those of you online, we're so glad that you're joining us. Uh, before we get started, I want to mention two things that I had already announced Tuesday at our prayer meeting, and then again on Thursday at our Bible study, uh, the first of which is that we would covet your prayers for my wife, Kelly, who has been battling breast cancer. Uh, I, I hope you know this about us. Uh, if you don't, you need to know this about us. We're not seeking pity, only prayer. Uh, we've known about it for several months, but now it is spreading into the lymph nodes. Uh, we didn't go public with this back in the summer because we didn't want any unnecessary attention. Uh, my amazing wife, for those of you who know her, she's amazing. <laughs> for those of you who don't know her, she's amazing. But she's also very private. And uh, just a f <laughs> amazingly quiet. Wait, what? <laughs> you guys laughed too quick on that one. Uh, but she, um, keep in mind, we've been married for 35 years. We courted for two. We've been together for 37 years. She's my soulmate, right? And uh, she's the one that has really just encouraged me and reminded me that I'm to keep my hands to the plow and preach the Word, as I'm so privileged to. And this is church, which is what I've done since we received the diagnosis. So the second thing is, I am going to take some time off uh, starting tomorrow. And I will return, Lord willing, and if we're still here, which by the looks of things, this could be the Last Supper. I don't know. Um, but I'll return Tuesday, January 9th, which by the way will be our next prayer meeting, not Tuesday, January 2nd, because we're not going to have it the day after New Year's Day. So on Tuesday, January 9th, I'll return to the pulpit, if we're still here. Uh, that'll be our next prayer meeting, and then I'll be back in the pulpit uh, from that time on, and we will resume uh, our expositional teaching. In the meantime, I'm going to leave you in the very capable hands of both Pastor Mac and Pastor Leitu, who will be filling in for you. I, I was just getting ready. You're getting ahead of me. I always tell people that uh, I have the most amazing, not just wife, but I have the most amazing staff and the most amazing church. And I think I know why. I think God looked down on me and just felt really sorry for me. Like this guy needs all the help he can get. So he sent me the most amazing people a pastor could ever hope to have, and privileged me with the most amazing church a pastor could ever hope to pastor. And so I just wanted to say thank you for being such an amazing church. You're such a loving church, and a giving church, and a praying church. And I almost made it. <laughs> Kelly said, don't lose it. <laughs> she's, she's the one. I'm the one with cancer. You're, you're a mess. Look at you. You think 
you're taking it harder than I am. I said, I know. Okay, let me gather myself, and then we'll get started here. <laughs> so, because we finished Third John last week, and I didn't want to start the short book of Jude this week before taking time off, I made the decision after seeking the Lord to just do a topical teaching for today. I, you can see the title. I think it says it all. <laughs> uh, it speaks to what we're to do when we don't know what to do, when we find ourselves in those impossible situations in our lives. So the go-to, when you don't know what to do, is Second Chronicles 20. And I have to confess, this is a chapter in God's Word that God has used mightily in my life over the years, through everything that my wife and I have been through over the years. It's just, I mean, a go-to chapter. In those times when you just don't know what to do, when everything is against you, coming against you. And this is arguably one of the most, if not the most fascinating accounts when it comes to those times when you find yourself in a place like that. What we're about to see are seven things from this chapter that we can do when we don't know what to do. And they are in order as follows. Number one, in verse 3, pray, fast, and inquire of the Lord. Number two, in verse 4, come together and seek help from the Lord. Three, in verses 5 through 11, recall the past victories by the Lord. Four, in verse 12, keep your eyes on the Lord. Five, in verses 13 through 14, bring your family before the Lord. Six, in verses 15 through 17, face the battle with the Lord. And lastly, seven, in verses 21 and 22, sing praises prior by faith in the Lord. Oh, I just preached the whole sermon. We can close in prayer right there. Um, let me kind of give you the backstory. It's going to be germane to our understanding as to what's happening and the news that King Jehoshaphat, one of only nine good kings in all of Israel's history. And actually, this is southern Judah, not the northern tribes of Israel. They never had one good king. Every king of Israel in the north did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. In Judah, southern Judah, there were only nine good kings, of whom it was said they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat is one of them. Well, Jehoshaphat has just received news about Mount Seir, who we talked about on Thursday night in Ezekiel, Moab, and Edom. This would make up what we know today as modern day Jordan, had allied together and come against him. This vast army had come against him in great numbers from all sides in every direction. And they stand no chance. 
I mean no chance. It's not just against all odds. Forget that. We talked about this on Thursday night. They are toast with a capital T and a capital toast for that matter. And they know it, because there's no way that they will ever be able to prevail against this alliance of Edom, Mount Seir, and uh, Moab, the Moabites, the Edomites. By the way, these were the nemesis, the arch enemy. Again, as we talked about on Thursday night in Ezekiel chapter 35 and 36, the prophecy concerning Mount Seir, modern day Jordan. The text has an interesting detail. It says they had an ancient, ancient hatred, easy for me to say, ancient hatred for the Israelites. These were the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, the fraternal brother of Jacob, Jacob, Israel. And so even from the womb they were enemies. And now these enemies have banded together, and they're coming against Jehoshaphat. And they come as a great horde, some of your translations render it. And now Jehoshaphat has just received news of this great army that is coming against them. And that's where you pick it up in verse 3 with our first what to do. Pray fast. We talked about that Tuesday night. Pray and fast and inquire of the Lord. Now verse 3, we're told, alarmed. I think that's an understatement. Jehoshaphat resolved, hang on to that word, to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Couple things. First of all, pray and fast. Remember that account of that demon-possessed boy and the dad, the disciples couldn't cast him out. And so the dad brings him to Jesus and said, you know, fine job your disciples are doing here. This, my son keeps the demons, throw him in the fires, and he gets burned, and please help me. And Jesus casts the demon out, and the disciples come to him afterwards and go, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus goes on to, it's a teachable moment. Uh, and then He says to them this, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. So here Jehoshaphat, alarmed, I mean, again, understatement, he is terrified, trembling, fear, trepidation. What are we going to do? So I want you to notice this word resolved. He resolved to inquire of the Lord, pray, seek the Lord, and fast. This word resolve is, I wish we, we could fully grasp the meaning in the original, because it carries with it the idea of resolute, deliberate, committed resolution, resolving a strengthened resolve to pray and fast. In other words, you've got to commit to this, resolve to do this, resolve to both pray and fast. First, right out of the chute. You don't know what to do? Pray, fast, 
inquire of the Lord, resolve to pray and fast and seek the Lord. Because this only comes out and works out by prayer and fasting. It's a sad commentary when you, as one pastor shared, a wife says to her husband, Honey, we need to pray. To which her husband responds, Is it that bad? When did prayer become a last resort instead of a first response? Jehoshaphat's first response is to just go before the Lord, resolutely resolve to inquire of the Lord and pray and fast. Here's our second one in verse 4. And this is so important, especially in the context of a body of believers. Come together, unite, and seek help from the Lord. Listen to verse 4. We're told the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, and listen to this, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. Oh, interesting. They're all coming together. The implication, the inference is, is that they were in their own place, separated. But now, because of what's coming against us, we need to come together. It's when a body of believers come together and unite, that's powerful. This detail of coming from every town in Judah, all the people of Judah, they were of one mind and one accord, and they're all focused on seeking help from the Lord. I mean, the, the narrative is quite specific. Would you agree? The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Approaching His throne of grace in your time of need, and what will you find there? Mercy and help. Lord, help me. A three-word prayer that God answers. Ask Peter as he's sinking after walking on water, which he doesn't get enough credit for. He, everybody focuses on him taking his eyes off the Lord. And he sunk. Peter, well, yeah, but how about the other disciples who they didn't get out of the boat. Peter did. Bid me come. Okay. And he walked on water. Yeah, but he sunk. Yeah, but he walked on water before he sunk. <laughs> but he, he took his eye. But he, here's, here's the point, and believe it or not, I have one. He, did we talk about this last week? I don't remember what I talked about. That's pretty bad when the pastor doesn't remember what he taught. But he, he doesn't have time for a big, long prayer. Our Father, which reminds me of another husband and wife story. You know, the wife who's more spiritually mature than the husband prays, says, honey, let's pray. So she's praying, Oh God in heaven, Father above, creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. And she goes on this elaborate prayer. And then when she's done, she says, okay, honey, it's your turn. He goes, um, God, 
I don't have the foggiest idea what my wife just said, but would you help us? <laughs> well, that was, that was Peter's prayer as he's sinking. Lord, save me. Right? Could you imagine Jesus like, come on, that's all you got? I taught you better than that. What happened to our Father which art in heaven? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. No, Lord, I don't have time. Lord, help. Three word prayer. What did the Lord do? He answered it. He saved him. God answers three words prayers. I don't want to re-preach the message Tuesday night at the prayer meeting on prayer. Imagine that. <laughs> One thing that always strikes me is that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, not to preach. See, I would have totally not done that. I would have said, Jesus, teach me how to preach. <laughs> he said, no, teach us how to pray. Why do you think they asked him, teach us how to pray? Because they watched the Savior go off by himself and pray. And it was like they were saying, we want for ourselves some of that, because they saw the power of the Savior's prayer life. Jesus, teach us how to pray like that, because they watched Jesus pray. He modeled it for them, and they saw the power of it. But let's get back to this coming together. Dare I say that while seemingly at first read it might seem like a firm grasp of the obvious, but it's not, unfortunately. Just coming together as a body, is that not what a healthy body does? When one part of the body is hurting, the whole body feels it. I mean, if I hurt my thumb, my toe knows and lets me know that it knows. You're all the way down there. This was up here. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah, but I'm part of the body. And that's what healthy cells do, by the way. When there's an injured part of the body, all of the other cells in the body rush to help. They come together and surround. And that's what to do when you don't know what to do. You need to come together. Yeah, but we haven't talked in a while. That's, maybe that's the problem. Well, yeah, but, you know, they unfriended me on Facebook. Well, <laughs> why don't you send them another friend request and come together? Because you guys need to pray. You guys need to seek the Lord. You guys need help, man. You better come together and seek help from the Lord. Number three, in verses 5 through 11, recall past victories by the Lord. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 5. This is just, I don't know what word to say, except amazing. I've probably already overused my allotment of the use of that word today, but we'll just stay with amazing. Then Jehoshaphat, notice, stood up in the assembly of Judah, because they're all together now, and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard, and said, now everybody's there, and they're listening to Jehoshaphat's prayer. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. 
power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, verse 9, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, verse 10, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. You see what just happened here? Before all the people who have all come together, they're right there in the courtyard, very detailed description of the setting. And Jehoshaphat prays aloud right there, pray aloud. It comes in through the ear gate. That's going to come up in a, in a moment here. I pray out loud. It changed my prayer life. My only regret is that I didn't start doing that sooner. Because there's something about hearing yourself pray, reading the Word audibly, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. When you hear yourself pray, it enters the ear gate, it's entering into a different part of the brain that processes it, more so than just reading it silently, seeing it visually, when you hear it audibly. So this is in the hearing of all of Judah that has all come together from every town in Judah. And they've just got done hearing their king, King Jehoshaphat, pray this prayer. You know what the common denominator in this powerful prayer is? It's a reminding all and recalling all that God had promised and all that God had done by giving them the victory in the past. Oh God, you have done this in the past. You provided us this in the past. You gave us this victory in the past. I'm reminded of David, <laughs> when he's sent by his father to the battlefield where his older three brothers are, where they've been for no less than 40 days and 40 nights, listening to this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheme the name of their God, paralyzed in fear, don't know what to do, no need to fear. Little David is here. First thing he does when he shows up, there's his older brother Eliab, who was very bitter towards him, obviously, because he was the heir apparent, as was the custom, to be the king. When Samuel was sent out to anoint the next king of Israel, Eliab, the firstborn son, always the firstborn. It's 
It's obvious. In fact, Samuel, there's indication in the narrative that Samuel was a little bit flabbergasted when it wasn't Eliab. And it wasn't the other six brothers along with Eliab, which is why he goes to Jesse, dad, said, tell me you have another son. Well, yeah, but I mean, she's no way, way. Where is he? Oh, interesting. He's out shepherding the flock. That's my man, because I'm the good shepherd. That's why David is referred to as having a heart after God's own heart. He had a shepherd's heart. So here's David now. <laughs> He's, some believe, probably mid-teens. He hasn't even got his driver's license yet, probably. Shows up in the battlefield, because dad wants to get word. How's it going? He shows up and hears for the first time, after Eliab's like, what are you doing here? Go, I know what you're doing. You little runt, go back to your little sheep. This is for men. And then all of a sudden, he hears this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheme the name of his God. And David's like, this is not okay. How long has this been going on? Sounds like a song. How long? Sorry. Whoa, where did that come from? I need the levity. Just give it to me, okay? Oh, it's uh, <laughs> 40 days and 40 nights. Let me at him. No, come on, David. No, no. No, let me, let me at him. They, they, they realize he's serious. They take him to Saul, King Saul. Here's little David. David's like, let me at him. How is this okay with you guys? You're sitting here paralyzed in fear for 40 days and 40 nights, and you're letting this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheme the name of our God, not on my watch. It stops right here and right now. Let me at him. Saul's like, whoa. Come on, David, trying to reason with him. Listen, this guy is a champion. By the way, that's his name. And David knows it. That's why David never calls him Goliath. You'll not find out one time. Because Goliath means champion, and he is no champion. The only time you ever hear David referencing him, he references him as an uncircumcised Philistine blaspheming the name of his God, because that's what he is. So Saul is trying to talk him out of it. He's been doing this longer than you've been alive. He'll eat you for lunch and dinner and have leftovers for breakfast if he wants. There's no way, David. And then David does this. He recalls the past, and he tells Saul, Saul, you don't understand. I have, God has delivered into my hands a bear and a lion. That's a prophetic typology, by the way. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be delivered into my hands. Now let me at him. Well, now what's Saul going to say? First of all, can you imagine how shameful it must be, disgraceful. This is the king. Look at you. You're over there in the corner crying like a baby, like me. <laughs> and uh, here comes this little David, this little shepherd boy. And so what does Saul do? He tries to put on his armor on David. Okay, go ahead. But 
I wouldn't recommend it. And so he puts the armor on. Could you picture this? You'll forgive me for seeing the humor in this. But here's David with this armor. <laughs> you know, his first one, it's not my size. It's not my color either. I'm an autumn. <laughs> but uh, no, please, can I take this off? All I need is a slingshot and some smooth stones, five the number of grace, by the way. They were saved by grace through faith. And by the way, I, I got to say this, and I, I'm sorry, because I've taught it wrong too. In teaching this account, it's usually couched in terms of how to slay the Goliaths in your life, how to kill the giants in your life. You know, seven keys to slaying Goliath like David. There's only one problem. <laughs> We're not the hero of the story. David is a type of Jesus. Jesus is the one who slays the Goliaths in our lives. We're going to see that in a moment. So you'll forgive me if you've got that. Uh, this is back in the cassette tape days. I made sure to burn every single one of them. But if that's online, would you just delete that video? And because uh, I need to go back and reteach it. So what does he do? He takes the armor off. And after recalling the past victories, this is what David was saying. God delivered me in the past from a bear and a lion. So too will he deliver me in the present from this uncircumcised Philistine. And he did. It is so important. I don't know if you can overstress the importance of this, but when you're fearful in the present, concerning the future, go back into the past, because He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He delivered you in the past. Why would He not deliver you now? He gave you the victory in the past. Why would He not do that now? And it's not like God had to be reminded of this. He needed to pray this so that everybody else could be reminded of this, Himself included. There's something very healthy about remembering, recalling past victories by the Lord. Verse 12. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this one. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Before I read verse 12, would you agree and have you experienced, like me, I have a PhD in this, you don't got your eyes on the Lord. You got your eyes on the, on the problem, on the enemy, on the circumstances, on the trial, on the issues that you're facing, what's coming against you. You're, and and the, the more your eyes are on that instead of the Lord, the bigger that gets, and it eclipses the Lord. And it works both ways, conversely. When your eyes are on the Lord, God becomes bigger, because you're looking at that trial through the lens of your God, instead of looking at your God through the lens of that trial. I mean, it's almost become cliche, sadly, when you say, oh, just keep your eyes on the Lord. It's hard to warm up to that when you're fighting for your life, the battle of your life, and the trial of your life. But it's true. Now listen to what 
Jehoshaphat concludes when he, I mean, if, if I could just say it like this, verse 12 is like the best way to pray. Listen to what he does. He's still praying. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Perfect. That is the best way to pray and the perfect place to be. You're powerless. You're helpless. You don't know what to do. Here's God. I do. Look to me. Let me. You don't know what to do? You're powerless in the face of this. I'm all powerful. You don't know what to do. I'm all knowing. I know what to do. That's not the question. The question is, will you let me? I mean, this is one of those principles you don't break, it breaks you. And it has to do with being powerless. And everything within our sin nature, our Adamic nature, that flesh chafes at this. Because we want to operate in the energy of our own strength and our own power, our own might. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by my spirit, says the Lord, Zechariah 4, 6. See, God has a problem. Not that God has problems. We're the problem. What's the problem? Well, I'll just speak for myself, because you know how godly of a pastor I am. I'll always take one for the team. He's got a problem with me. What's his problem with me? I'm too strong. (laughs) And he's got to bring me to that place where I am powerless and helpless, because unless and until he does, I won't look to him. I'm still relying on my own strength. I'm still still trying to rely on my own power, my own resources. I still have options here. Translated, it's still possible for me. And as long as it's still possible for me in my own strength, in my own power, in my own might, it's hands off to God. So when Jehoshaphat prays, God, I mean, if He could just kind of use your God-given imagination to just hear his, his, the tone of His voice and cry when He prays this and cries out to God, Oh God, we are powerless. We don't know what to do. Up against this army that's coming against us, there's no hope for us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Ah, did you just say you're looking to me? Yeah. Did you just say that you're powerless? Yeah. Music to God's ears. You know, uh, when I was a, a new believer, somebody came up to me and and you know, I, I, all I, my theology, here was my theology as a new believer. This is over 40 years ago, so be kind to me. Uh, Jesus is real. Jesus is really, really real. Jesus is real. That's all I knew. <laughs> but 
Everything was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was just so simple. And I had this, actually it was my cousin. <laughs> He's still my cousin, not, not was. But my cousin says to me, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Now, I hadn't read the Bible yet. I'm like, where is that? Well, come to find out, it's in First Fleshalonians chapter 1, because that's the flesh. No, right? It's not the Spirit. This is, this is an Ishmael in the power of your own strength and your own might. You're going to help God, because after all, God needs your help. And God helps those who help themselves. I think it's right next to that verse that cleanliness is next to godliness. Just spoiler alert, it's not in the Bible, for those of you who think it is. <laughs> I didn't mean to digress so far, but it's the antithesis to be able to help yourself. You're saying to God, I don't need your help. I, I still have in my own strength the possibility to help myself. And you know, God is so gracious. He'll never force Himself on us. It's just, it, can you imagine as an earthly parent, when you sit idly by, when your children don't want your help? Can you imagine how much more our Heavenly Father? We're just saying, hey, you know, I got this. And God's like, you don't. <laughs> I'll be here when you figure that out. You know, some of us it takes longer. You know who you are. I don't want to look at anybody. I know it's me. You know, 5,832 tries. God, I can't do that. It's about time. You know the three steps? Step number one, you can't. Step number two, he can. Step number three, let Him. We're helpless, we're powerless, we're hopeless. And when you come to that place, you no longer fancy yourself as still having options in and of yourself, because now it's not possible for you. It's impossible for you. And with God, all things are possible, except when they're still possible for you. I know this might, I hope this comes out good. This is why I have notes, by the way. If it's still possible for you, it's impossible for God. The only way it's possible for God is when it's impossible for you. And the sooner you get to that place, the better. Save yourself the pain and the heartache. And trust me, I've had to learn this the hard way. I still do my temperament. I'm just that strong will. I know you know nothing of this. <laughs> that strong willed, stubborn, obstinate, self will strong. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and make it happen. God's like, okay, just let me know when you're ready and I'll, I'll be here. Oh, it's still possible for you. Yeah, you haven't come to that place of being powerless yet. I mean, wouldn't it stand to reason that 
if you're not helpless, that you're not going to have your eyes on the Lord to help you. God, I imagine Jehoshaphat, vulnerable, emotional, crying out to God, God, we don't know what to do. That, that, that takes humility. You're the king. You're supposed to know what to do. You imagine all the people in Judah going, dude, <laughs> you don't know what to do? Now I'm really freaking out. No, but God does. Look to Him. Don't look to me, and don't look to yourself. I know it's dorky, but it's true. As one quipped, if your eyes are on yourself, you're depressed. If your eyes are on others, you're distressed. But if your eyes are on the Lord, you're blessed. I know it's dorky, but it's so true, isn't it? This whole thing about just look within. No, don't do that. Don't do that. You won't like what you see. You think you're depressed now? I took that way too far, but oh well. Number five, this one is interesting, verses 13 and 14. Bring your family before the Lord. I think we do err greatly when we don't allow our children to witness the great and mighty things that God is doing in our lives. You know, our kids need to see their parents praying and seeking the Lord and crying out to the Lord. It needs to be modeled for them, because it's not what's taught, it's what's caught. Let them catch you in the act of praying. I know that was kind of gnarly, but you'll never forget that one. <laughs> Let them catch you praying. Walk in on you guys, on your knees praying, crying out to God. Because see, what you're teaching them is, this is what we do when we don't know what to do. We pray. We don't worry or fret or fear. No, we go right to the Lord. We seek the Lord. And I want you to, ah, I wasn't going to, but I'm going to, right? <laughs> I'm not talking about children under the age of about 12. I'm talk, that has to be, that's why we have a children's ministry, and we have an amazing children's ministry director. I hope I'm not embarrassing her, Chris. Don't tell her I said that. Too late. She probably heard it. But we have, she's amazing. But we have a children's ministry. But when you hit that 13-year mark up, what are we doing? Show me in the Bible where they had Youth for Christ, Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, Young Life. Show me in the Bible where they have youth group. Show me in the Bible where they took the youth and separated them from mom and dad. They need to see mom and dad worshiping God. They need to see mom and dad in church together under the teaching of God's Word. But what, were, what are we saying to them? You can't sit at the, the adult table you go sit over there. And we wonder why our kids want nothing to do with the Lord. We already sent them that message. No, you guys go off. You guys go play ping pong. And I don't want to say foosball, because I love foosball. <laughs> no, I actually do. No, seriously, I was a champion um, competition. 
We'll talk about that later. We actually did have a foosball table, and then we got rid of it. Anyway, I'm sorry about that. But it's all activities, because after all, you, you can't it's boring, the, you know, being in the main service. It's boring. The Word of God is boring? I defy you to look me in the face and say to me, Second Chronicles chapter 20 is boring. It's probably one of the most exciting, edge of your seat, gripping, what do they say of these, uh, you know, thrillers? <laughs> Whoa, what are they going to do? They're not. God is. Watch this. So let's read this now. Boy, I haven't even read it yet. All the men of Judah, listen, with their wives and children and little ones, they pulled them out of the children's ministry, stood there before the Lord. Then, verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon, this is interesting, Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. Now why in the world do we need to know this guy's ancestry and family tree? We'll talk about that in a moment. Sorry, just hang on to that. So all their wives, all their families, all their children are there together, standing before the Lord. Why? To hear the word of the Lord, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the word of the Lord. And now God is going to speak His words through His vessel, a Levite? What? He's a priest. Where's the prophet? This alone would have gotten their attention, and rightfully so, because when God would speak, thus saith the Lord, or hear the word of the Lord, O Israel, it was always through a prophet. So why is God using a priest? Because that is extraordinary, out of the ordinary. Here's, here's the takeaway. Sometimes God will choose to use a vessel that you're not thinking God will choose to use to speak through to you. I mean, we're looking for the prophet, because after all, the word of the Lord comes through the prophet. But, well, this must be serious if God's speaking through a Levite. This, that's not what they do. They do the priestly service in the temple. They don't prophesy the word of the Lord. No, this, this time I'm going to use a Levite, a priest, not a prophet. I like how Oswald Chambers said it once. Sometimes we're looking for God to open up a door, and God's over here. I'm not going to use a door this time. How about that? I'm a, this is a very loose paraphrase. Chambers didn't say it like that. He said, I'm not going to use a door. I'm going to use a window this time. See, because here's the problem, and you see it in the Gospels. When Jesus heals people, you notice that He does different things on different occasions. You know why He does that? Because, so we don't make a formula. 
Insert tab A, slot B, get healing C. One time, uh, he spits in the dirt, makes mud, puts it on the eyes of a blind man and heals him. He doesn't do that every time. Could you imagine if he did that? You'd have the first church of the spit in the dirt, make mud, heal the eyes denomination, right? Because we make a formula out of it. Then other times he just, you're healed. Sometimes God, and He does it for us, because He knows us better than we know ourselves. And He knows we're so prone to grab onto these formulas. And, and that's why the book of Acts is, oh, praise God for the book of Acts. I mean, sometimes somebody is baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they, they speak in tongues. Other times they have boldness. Other times there's no tongues. God does that for a reason. Don't, don't put God in a box. He's not going to do the same thing the same way, at the same time, in the same color because He knows what we'll do with that. He says, you know what, I'm not going to use a prophet this time. I'm going to use a priest. That is going to say something right there. This must rise to the level of being very serious, if God's going to speak through a Levite, which He does. And that brings us to verses 15 through 17 in our sixth one, which is face the battle with the Lord. So this Jehaziel, this priest, this Levite, God now is going to speak through him the Word of God. And they're going to hear God's Word through this Levite. He said, verse 15, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Thus saith the Lord to you, Jehoshaphat and all of those with you. Wait for it. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. I'm telling you, if I'm there and I hear God's Word to me through this Levite say, I got this. Again, I know it's a loose paraphrase. I got this one. This battle belongs to me. Do not be afraid. I'll take care of this. Do not be discouraged. I got this. Yeah, but you see how big the army is? I know, but I'm bigger. Tomorrow, verse 16, the Levite is still speaking, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem. And he says it again. Do not be afraid. 
do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. You'll forgive again my, I know they have clinical terms for my sense of humor, but it's almost like God saying through this Levite, you're not going to fight this, I am. Just stand there and look pretty. No, stand firm. Just, sta just stand there? Yeah. Just stand and behold. Just stand here. Watch what I'm going to do. Just stand there. Don't do anything. Just stand there and look pretty. Now for me that's kind of hard. I can stand, but the pretty part, I don't know. Just stand there. Just stand there. Face them. I'll be with you. Fight the battle for you. You will not fight this battle, but I want you to just stand firm. Maybe that's a word for somebody here today. Just, you know when you're a kid, I heard this growing up all the time, sit still. Oh, you too? This is a problem, because I can't. Because <laughs> now, as soon as a teacher would say to me, just sit still, I'm sitting here going, I can't move. I mean, here, here they're trying to teach me the lesson. I'm going to be testing on it. And all I can think about is, I can't move. Just sit still. I have to sit still. That's all I can I say, how am I going to do that? And then, isn't it true that the more you want, you're told, sit still. Now you want to move around more. Oh, come on, don't look at me like that. I know the world calls that reverse psychology, but it's kind of like, don't think about a white elephant. You got a, a storefront window, all papered up, a hole to see through. And the words, don't look in this hole. They're lined up around the block. Why not? What's in there? Sit still. Why? I can't. No. <laughs> this is our human nature. Listen, I'm not going to take this one for the team, because I know you're just like me. So that's okay. I know. I won't look at you. Just stand there. Now this is a well-known verse, right? The battle belongs to the Lord. We've made songs out of it. We quote it. But there does come a time when the battle does belong to the Lord. But notice that they were still to face the battle with the Lord. And I want your kids there too. I want you to witness what I'm going to do, because that is going to build their faith in ways that could not otherwise be built, when they see what I'm going to do in delivering this vast army into your hands miraculously. And isn't it interesting, and we talked about this, I think, on Thursday night, what, how God does what God does. He does it in such a way so that there's no mistaking that it was Him who did it. He makes the situation so impossible so that when He does it, you know it was Him, because there's no other explanation. You can try to explain it away. The Red Sea is an example. I want to, we're going to talk about the Red Sea in a minute. We're actually almost done. Just have, have hope. But the Red Sea, right? Uh, 
I mean, how clear is that? Dry ground, waters parted. Say, no, that wasn't, that wasn't a supernatural. That wasn't a miracle. The, the Red Sea, they have at, at certain times of the year, these winds that, you know, it's really shallow. And then, you know, so it is, it is conceivable that the wind could have parted, you know, the, the sea. You're like, oh, really? Yeah, nice try. Then that's even a bigger miracle. You know why? Because that means God drowned the Egyptians in shallow water. That's a bigger miracle. No, it was a miracle. We're going to come back to the Red Sea, so don't go anywhere. Uh, I'm going to take you back to the Red Sea on the last one. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention this before we do move on to the last one, because there are those times where you do have to fight the battle. Throughout Scripture there are accounts of the Israelites having to go into battle, fight the battle in order to possess the Promised Land. There are certain promises of God that require that we fight the fight, the good fight of faith. But this particular battle, God says, you're not going to fight it. I am. That brings us to our last one, number seven, in verses 21 and 22. Sing praise in advance by faith in the Lord. Now let me start reading in verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. Stop right there. What? You're going to go stand face the battle, belongs to the Lord, but I want you there. Send the worship team out front. I'm on the worship team. Wait, I have to go out front first? Yeah. Not only that, you're going to start praising and thanking God now prior to the victory. (laughs) Wait, isn't that supposed to happen after? No, before. And verse 22 tells us why. Watch this. As they began to sing and praise. That's faith. By faith they started singing and praising. Did they feel like it? Absolutely not. I wouldn't have. I would have messed up the chords if I was, had an instrument. The vocals cracking, <laughs> flat, sharp, all the above, right? Nervous, <laughs> you know, the Lord, His love endures forever. But as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Wow, go worship team. Wait, you mean to tell me that before they had the victory, the worship team goes out in front, they're standing there, and the worship team is leading all of them in a worship song with the words on the screen, give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever before God even began to defeat this great army. Yes. As they began to sing and praise the Lord, this is before, in advance, by faith. Let's go back to the Red Sea real quick. Heard a 
a sermon of sermons preached by a brother who's with the Lord now. The title, Right Song, Wrong Side. Here's the Israelites, right? They're on this, this side of the Red Sea, terrified, thinking, this is it. Like Judah was with Jehoshaphat against this vast army. You got the Egyptians behind you, and you got the Red Sea in front of you. It's like, do you want to die by fire or by water? You want to burn or drown? So they start murmuring, complaining, were there not enough graves in Egypt? He had to bring us all the way out here to kill us, you know, kind of thing. So God says, okay, Moses, take your rod, behold, stand and behold the salvation of the Lord. All you got to do is just stand there, put your rod out and behold, watch, see, <laughs> watch me now. Puts his rod out, Red Sea parted, dry ground. This is what I call Red Sea clear. I wish every decision in my life was like that. Could you imagine the Israelites are going, I think it's God's will that we go this direction. <laughs> you think? <laughs> this is the way, walk ye in it. I think so. And then here's the fire keeping the Egyptians, and they walk on dry ground. And we're talking about a lot of Israelites. I mean, there's some, you know, estimates, guys who do this, they, they kind of figure out the, how long it would have taken. And then as soon as they're done, then the Egyptians pursue and, and the water. And they're on the other side. Miriam, Moses' older sister, is the worship leader. And she leads them in, in worship on the other side of the Red Sea, after God does the victory and the miracle. It, the right song, Praise you, Lord. But it's not in faith, it's in relief. Oh, you, now you're praising God. You weren't praising Him before. In faith, by faith, oh God, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do. You're not going to abandon me. You'll never leave me or forsake me. You'll always provide for me. You're a God of miracles. You're going to deliver me. I thank you in advance for what I believe by faith you're going to do. God is so pleased. It's impossible to please God without faith, but God finds that faith irresistible. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus stops everything and points out someone's faith. I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel, or the lack thereof. Oh, ye of little faith, not with disdain and disgust, but with really uh, a a pity. Why is your faith so small when your God is so big? So praise Him in advance. Thank Him in advance. Yeah, but I, I don't feel like it. No, 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 no. The feelings will follow. <laughs> I'll close with this. So when I uh, My wife sat me down and told me, you know, being the strong man that I am, I just, you know, curled up in the fetal position and wept uncontrollably. 
And my wife is, again, so amazing. She knows when I just need to be alone with the Lord. I'm just crying out to God, you know. (laughs) And that still small voice of the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking audible, didn't need to be, just that still small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, said, I want you to praise me. I'm like, really, Lord? I can't even pray. How am I going to praise you? I mean, my tear ducts had dried up. I, I couldn't even moan. I mean, it was just silent cry of the heart. And you want me to praise you? Yeah, I want you to praise me now. I want you to sing praises to me and thank me. It was rough at first. But uh, at first it was, it was a cry. It was that hymn which gets me every time. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. So it started like that. And then I began to notice my spirit was being lifted up as I was lifting up these prayers and praises and thanks to the Lord on the right side of this trial. And then I went to a song, and you know this song, and I mean, it was a game changer. I'll try not to ruin it, mar it, but you know the song, Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day, when Jesus washed, when Jesus washed, He washed my sins away. Oh, happy day. I just said, thank you, God. And it changed me. And I was able to go back downstairs and be the husband, you know, the man, you know. (laughs) You're in a situation right now. I hope this has been of some help for you. These are some things that you can do when you don't know what to do. I can promise you on the authority of God's Word, God's love, and just from my own personal experience and walking with Jesus for over 40 years, that when you do these things, God hears, God moves, God acts, and the victory is yours. Especially this last one, as hard as it is. I think, lastly, the Ephesian church, the first letter of the seven letters in Revelation, you've left your first love. Repent, remember, repent, repeat. Remember what worked at first, the first works. Repeat them. Yeah, I don't feel like it. No, the feelings will follow. Just repeat the first works, and the feelings will follow. I mean, you couldn't stop. You know how when a song gets stuck in your mind? I, I was driving my daughter nuts. Oh, happy, as I hate. Sabia, come here, because she's the singer, right? I said, you're going to do this more justice. Oh, happy. We got, we didn't do, what's that actress's name? Don't, 
put that in your mind. I'm so sorry about that. No, uh, I went to the original uh, artist who, who wrote that song. And I mean, we, we, got, we had some fun with it. I mean, that's a clapping song. That's a clapping song. The, the trees of the field are going to clap. I mean, we were, oh, here I am, I go from to <laughs> thinking, what, what, what is wrong with you? No, no, nothing's wrong now, because I'm praising God and thanking God and trusting God by faith. Right song, right side, prior to the miracle that He has in store for you. Capono, come on up. Why don't you stand up? We'll close in prayer. Thank you for your patience, by the way. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you for including this account in Scripture. All these generations later, and here we are just kind of reliving it. And Your Word is so alive and active. And it so applies to us in the situations in our lives. And we too, like Jehoshaphat and all of Judah, that we're powerless. We're helpless. Will You help us? Lord, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on You, and we will behold what it is that You're going to do, and thank You in advance, and praise You in advance of You doing it by faith, in Jesus' name.